0: and more. Join us for this episode of Lifestyle Solopreneur. Hey, Lifestyle Solopreneurs. Today, we get to speak with Steven Paternack. He is a third generation real estate professional who thrives on self-improvement through habit building. His big why is to retire by the time he is 45 years old. Steven, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
0: So good to have you on. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you are a third-generation real estate professional. What does that mean? Your your parents and grandparents were all in real estate.
1: Yeah. So my uh, my grandfather was a uh, was a building superintendent in Brooklyn in the 1930s and 1940s. And then uh, he moved the family to the Bronx in 1949. My father didn't really want to be a blue collar type of guy. So he kind of molded himself after who we now call my uncle Bill, who was my grandfather's boss. They had more of a boss employee relationship. They were actually very good friends. And my dad decided that he was going to start investing in real estate So um, he helped people buy and sell properties and he also owned properties. So my grandfather, my father, and now myself, uh, that makes me third generation here in real estate.
0: I love family legacies. And so what is your involvement in the real estate world?
1: Oh man, that's a loaded question. Um, (laughs) What is not my involvement? So, by trade, I am a real estate agent. Well, actually, I'm a broker. Um, I got my first real estate license in 2004, I believe it was right out of college. Um, I was a licensed uh, real estate salesperson. After two years in New York, you're allowed to apply for your broker's license. So I did that. Then I became a solo broker, and then I was um, I was on my own for a while, and I was doing sales, and I was doing rentals, and um, I stumbled upon a, a company called Keller Williams. And I, I decided that I wanted to take my brokerage business to the next level. So I became a um, an associate broker there with Keller Williams. And, um, and that's where I am today. So by trade, I'm a real estate agent broker. I also am an investor. So I invest in multiple uh, properties. I do uh, fix and flips. I own cash flowing properties as well. I am also in development now, which is what my most recent projects are is... Uh, basically uh, building properties from scratch. So like uh, just an example of a project we did was me and my partner, we bought a warehouse in New Jersey and we knocked the warehouse down and we put up uh, 10 units. So I'm an agent, I'm an investor, I'm an owner. I do my own property management. So yeah, I'm kind of uh, all over the place when it comes to real estate.
0: So we're cut from the same fabric. And I feel like one of our challenges in life is knowing what to put on a business card. When you've got so many, you know, so many <laughs> so many things in the fire and that's great though. And I do a lot of real estate as well. Like you, I'm a broker. Uh, like you also do a lot of work in development. So we have a whole country between us geographically, but we have a lot in common. Wish uh, we could have some of these coffee chats more often. So you're a third generation real estate professional. You do a lot in the real estate world, but I know that you're also really big on self-improvement through habit building. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah. I, I stumbled upon a book. I'm, I'm in a book club and um, it was one of the best things that I ever did about two years ago. My market center at Keller Williams, they, uh, they started a book club. And one of the best things I ever did, because my dad taught me that you are the average of the five people you hang out with. And the books you read, so it's basically about feeding your mental, whether it be subconsciously or not. So I said, you know, I'm going to make it a goal of mine to read a lot of books. When I was in college, I sure was not the astute uh, person in college and and in high school. But as I'm older now, I realized that I kind of left a lot of meat on the bone, and I didn't really take advantage of all the things that I should have. So now, as a you know a 40 year old uh, businessman, I said, you know what, I'm going to continue to educate myself, and I'm going to start reading books. So I joined the book club and second or third book in, it was this book called The Atomic Habit. And uh, it really kind of just blew my mind. And it really blew my mind to learn that these small things that we do on a daily basis really dictate the life that we're going to lead. So like, just for example, when you're waking up in the morning, like, what do you do? What's the first thing you do? You get up, you brush your teeth and you go grab a cup of coffee. Do you open your phone and start looking at social media? Or do you pick up a book and read for 10 minutes? Just these small habits change how you're going to live your life. So the book really opened my eyes to a lot of these things and, and really changed the way I looked at just the small minor tasks that I'm doing on an everyday basis. So for me, if I have a big goal, I figure what kind of habits can I change or adapt that will help me accomplish that goal. If I want to make a million dollars a year, what do people who make a million dollars a year do? Do they wake up and check social media? What's their screen time like? Or are they getting up and reading the Wall Street Journal? Are they getting up and, and, and scrolling on, on, on Facebook? What is it they're doing? So I try to just incorporate my habits with whatever my goals are.
0: Well, that's an amazing book. And for anyone that hasn't read it, Atomic Habits, I definitely second you on that. It's a great book. People should pick it up, should read it. What are some habits that you have cultivated after reading the book that you didn't have prior to reading the book that have really moved the needle for you?
1: Most important is waking up early. When I was younger, I was the type of guy that, you know, I'd wake up at 11, 12 o'clock. And, uh, you know, now I'm up by 5 a.m. every morning. It, that That is the one steadfast habit that has really changed my life. Once eight, nine o'clock comes around, you're getting pulled in so many different directions. If you don't have those two or three hours to yourself in the morning to really focus in and get done what you need to get done, then you're not going to accomplish your big goals. So the most important habit that I've, incorporated in my life is waking up early. Now, once I wake up early, there's a couple different things that I do as well. The first thing I do, obviously, brush my teeth. Second thing I do is I throw some water on my face. Third thing I do is I go grab my clothes, which I've already laid out the night before. So I grab my clothes because usually my girl is sleeping, so I don't want to wake her up. I grab the clothes. I've I've kind of navigated my room in the dark at this point, so so I don't step on anything or bump into a desk. I grab all my my stuff. I bring it upstairs, and at that point, I chug anywhere from like 16 to 32 ounces of water. I get dressed and I get my car and I go to the gym. That morning routine, those habits of doing that. If I don't do that on a on at least five to six days a week, my week is completely thrown off. My day is thrown off, and I just can't be as productive as I want to be, and and I feel mentally. Drained at this time right now, like we're recording this, and it's already, you know, 5 30 my time here in New York. And I'd be drained right now if I didn't get my morning routine handled. So those habits in the morning really are the most important for me.
0: What's interesting is for when people think, well, I don't really have any specific habits. They probably do. They're just not intentional habits. You know, there's some people's, they have a habit of, they wake up and the first thing they do is log into Facebook and browse, you know, and check out what everyone had for breakfast and, all, and all you know, the latest cat videos and check in with family and friends. And that's, if you're not doing it intentionally, it's then you're just by default doing what occurs to you and your habit develops without any sort of planning behind it. So I think having habits that you select consciously versus just developing habits that are by default is pretty important to be successful. And I know a lot of very successful people that will say exactly what you did, that their habits have been designed um, sort of almost, they've been the architect of their own day and they've designed it a certain way. And it really does kind of throw them off if they don't fulfill those habits, whether it's meditation, starting off with reading in the morning versus being online, turning devices off at a certain hour might be a habit, feeding yourself properly, which is hard to do, right? That, that's one of those that sounds like such an easy no-brainer, like just eat well. But it's the <laughs> thing that most of us struggle with so much and it really is kind of a habit, right? It's, it's uh, if you're hungry, Planning ahead, shopping for the right foods, you know. Well, let me ask
1: you a question. You like pizza?
0: Oh, of course I like pizza. I'm a human being pizza. And I have taste buds. (laughs) What do
1: you put on your pizza?
0: So my favorite pizza topping, believe it or not, I'm a purist, is just cheese pizza. OK, that's I'm a purist, but there is one pizza. If anyone makes it down to Southern California, you've got to go to Pizza Port. Okay. They've got, I think, six or seven locations. It's family owned. They're opening a new location, actually he, walking distance from where I live, which is phenomenal. And they're a brewery and they ha- they have these pizzas they make. And that one has random stuff. Butternut squash, blue cheese, house made bacon, mushrooms. It's kind Let of me a, you a question. One that-
1: what do yeah. you put on your pizza? Do you put like garlic? Do you put salt? Do you put red peppers? Do you put something on your pizza?
0: Little Parmesan.
1: And I bet you don't even think about it, right? It's like you get your pizza and you automatically you automatically ask the guy, okay, where's the Parmesan? Or you look in the fridge right next to the counter and you grab your Parmesan and you put it on. You don't even think about it. you know. And here in New York, I mean, I'm not sure how it is where you are, but like pizza is a staple. So you walk into a pizza shop, you grab a slice right next to it. You just grab a soda. So instead of grabbing a soda, you reach for a water. Those small mm-hmm. decisions you make right there are what dictates, you, you know, whether or not you're able to cut out those two or three hundred calories a day and lose that pound a week that you want to do.
0: Right. Absolutely. Yep. Small things do add up. They truly mm-hmm. do. Yep. So a little bit about your big why. So you want to retire by the time you're 45. What does retirement mean to you?
1: Freedom, freedom. So let me start off and be you know full disclosure here is that originally that goal was to do it when I was 40 and I just turned 40. And unfortunately I didn't hit that goal, but that's okay. Um, I'm not down about that. I had to push it back five years and and that's because I didn't go hard enough. I think, you know, I just, um, I was really focused on the wrong things for a lot of years and I didn't have the right mentorship and I wasn't reading the right books, but it really just means freedom to me. It just means, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to work. It doesn't mean I'm not going to wake up every day with some sort of motivation. It just means that I don't have to I don't have to find myself in a box or in a rat race. And I don't have to find myself in a situation where like, I have to get up and do something. I want to get up and I want to do the things that I have passion for. I want to have projects. I want to work on nonprofits. I want to help people, you know, things of that nature. I don't want to have to get up and work for and do something that I don't want to do. So that's really what retirement means for me. It's really just the freedom to be able to do what I want to do. And that that comes with stuff, right? Like you have to make sure you have enough financial stability to be able to do that. I mean, a lot of people work for their pensions. They work, at, at, you know, and they tell them that, okay, your pension's is going to be 50% of your salary or 100% of your salary you know and for me like that sounds great but i just wanted more and it's something that i've decided that i'm going to do and i'm going to focus on just getting to a point where i'm financially stable and i could be able to do whatever i want to do at as early of an age as possible so that way i can enjoy my later years
0: so the financial independence component that has actually gotten a lot of steam and i don't know if you've heard of the fire method f i r e I think it's, not. It's, it's her Financial Independence Retire Early, F-I-R-E. Okay. It's sort of it's popular among, I'm not sure which generation. I think it's the millennials, maybe. Uh, maybe a little younger than the millennials, maybe whatever is Gen Z. or. But it's, it's interesting. It's a movement of people who decide ahead of time, hey, I'm only 25, but I want to retire by the time I'm 35 or 40. And then from that day they take all these steps that are outlined in this in this process to reach it. It's pretty harsh though. I mean there's a lot of um severe frugality, you know, where you oh, have yeah, to I live bet. on a, a percentage of your income and put away <laughs> the rest in certain ways and then the math works out that after a certain number of years you should be able to stop working as long as you keep your frugal lifestyle. So I mean it's it's a different way to look at it, but it is interesting. I think it's a concept Everyone should at least be exposed to, and then they can make their own choices. And from there, you know, you don't have to do that FIRE fire method. You could do something that's like halfway or just inspired by. It. But yeah. some of it is is interesting. Learning to live below your means so that you have excess capital that you can invest or put away for retirement or grow it by, you know, starting a business or doing something with it, buying real estate is great. I, as a real estate professional, I think you and I both see this. There are a lot of people who are high wage earners but they live paycheck to paycheck. They have a great paycheck but they don't have enough for a down payment for a piece of property because every paycheck that comes in somehow finds its way right out the door.
1: Yeah, well that's because they're not budgeting themselves properly. And you know, I think that um, you know, I'm guilty of this too and I think we all are, you know, you kind of there's there's a scientific thing out there. I forgot what the, what it's called, but it's basically the more money you make, the more money you spend. And that's what we've kind of been fed all these years. It's like, okay, cool. You got that raise. So now how are you going to go spend that money? You're going to go buy a new house or you're going to go buy some new jewelry or you're going to go buy a new car. Instead of saying, okay, you know what? I got a raise, I was comfortable where I was. Let me take that little extra 5% or whatever it is. I don't even know what the going rate for a raise is anymore, but I take that little percentage that I'm going to make and put that into the stock market. Or maybe let me put that into you know some sort of means to make a passive income. Start a vending machine business. Something where you're money is making, where your money is working for you as opposed to you working for your money. I think that's the key to to, to retirement. And the key to freedom is figuring out a way to make money work for you and going to college. and, And it really, they didn't teach us any of that stuff. They didn't teach us how to balance a checkbook. They didn't teach us about compound interest. I mean, the most simplest of terms that I feel like every person should know, every 19 to 20 year old should learn is compound interest. If you put literally $100 in the S&P 500 or NASDAQ. And I'm not giving any financial advice, but what I'm saying is do your homework. If you put it into just any sort of like mutual funds, over the course of 20 years, your money's going to double. Over the course of 25 years, it's going to triple. So you could put $100 a month and then that $100 will then be worth three or $400 in 20 years. So by the time you're 40, you've got a couple hundred grand sitting in the bank and nobody knows about this stuff. It's crazy to me that they don't teach us any of this stuff. All they want us to do is spend money, spend, 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 so we can be dependent on other people. And I just think that it's something that the kids don't learn enough about.
0: It's true. It's true. The education system is really focused on churning out workers and not necessarily churning out investors or even entrepreneurs. I've seen that, you know, we've all been through the school system. And so really you have to educate yourself once you decide you want more in life and that you you want to be able to earn money from money versus just earning money from work and um, earning it from your own investments and being strategic and finding different ways to be productive. You just mentioned vending machines. I think that's a fascinating, do you, is that a, one of your business lines, vending
1: machines? No, 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 it's not. But I, I have a buddy of mine who does uh, vending machines and you know, he, he makes You know, and he makes enough money on a monthly basis for the three or four hours a a, a month that he has to run around filling the machines to pay for his car payment. So he's making, you know, five, 600 bucks a month, but it pays for his car payment. It allows him, you know, like it just, it's these small things. It goes back to habits and like just small, small things. If you can figure out a way to cover your car payment every single month, if you can figure out a way to cover your insurance, because as an entrepreneur, a solopreneur, however you want to pronounce it, is we have to pay for our own insurance. I don't have insurance. I have to pay for that every month. If I can figure out a way that's going to pay for that by an hour or two, Of my time every month, I'm going to do it. I'm going to explore that. So, that is something that people don't do. They just look at it as another expense. I don't look at things like that. I look at it like, okay, what can I do to afford that? Do I need to get health insurance? How am I going to, what am I going to do? How can I leverage my time the most to be able to afford what I need to do and still not affect my quality of
0: life? And for listeners who are looking for ideas on more ways to make passive income, to make those extra hundreds or thousands of dollars a month, what are some of your favorite ways to earn an income passively that you would share?
1: I think that number one, social media. I mean, it sounds crazy. You know, like I I don't want to be, I'm not somebody who bashes social media, but you could be on, and, and earlier when I was talking about habits, about people jumping on Facebook, it's a tool. So if you allow that tool and you don't take advantage of what it really is, You could sit at home and you could start a business. A single mother could sit at home, start a business from her home, a drop shipping company. They could start so many different types of businesses. They could create content. They can create podcasts and they can monetize that on YouTube. Um, Somebody who has a passion for music, they could turn around and they could start making beats in their living room with all the technology that's out there and put it out on social media. That's one way to monetize and, and to create passive income is by taking advantage of social media and not allowing it to take advantage of you. There's a ton of different ways. I mean, you could do so many different things. I mean, sports cards (laughs) right now, I don't know about you, but like a lot of us, we grew up collecting sports cards and they're sitting in an attic somewhere. You turn around, it's a billion dollar business right now. It's all about your passion. It's about what's going to make you get up and move, find that, and then find a way to monetize it. And you could do that with just a limited amount of time. So yeah, I mean, there's a number of different ways.
0: Well, I mean, you've brought up so many of them just right there and believe it or not, we've had a lot of guests on this show uh, who've you know, done a lot of those types of things. I mean, yep. we've had one of my early guests Elaine Haney. She just gets up and in the morning does maybe half hour of research or so trying to think of what's what's in the zeitgeist or what's popular. And she'll think of a couple of t-shirt concept designs. Her designer will make them for her and upload them. And then she has a really nice Amazon merch business where mm-hmm. really she just works each morning a little bit. She can skip a day or two or three, it's, you know, no matter. It just means fewer designs out there and it's all print on demand, no inventory. So yeah. And that's, she carved that out. I mean, that's not something when you ask a high school kid, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? No one says Amazon merch, print on demand, t-shirt designer that just works an hour yeah. a day in the morning. Yeah, exactly. It's not like necessarily on anybody's radar unless you hear about it or you find out about these things. So I think that's great. In real estate, first of all, there's so many opportunities like you and I are both preaching to the choir if we talk to each other about this. But for anyone that's listening that right now is thinking, I don't know where to even start ask yourself, are you a renter or are you a homeowner? Because one of the most amazing investment tools we have are federally subsidized mortgage loans. Mm -hmm. And for a lot of people, they are eligible to have a mortgage, but for whatever reason, have just decided to keep renting. And you know, if you buy a property and you are strategic in the property you buy, and every couple of years you sell and upgrade where you live, that can be a way to climb the the sort of empire building and portfolio building ladder without too much strategy. You really, you need a place to live anyways. And if you pick places that are going to be good for resale or become good rentals later, that's another thing you can do to get started right away, even if you're not an entrepreneur.
1: Well, it's funny you brought that up because are you familiar with the study of like the cost of renting versus the cost of owning and how, yes. yeah. So like, it, it's pretty simple and like you could do it on like a, the back of a napkin, but like a, for your listeners, I'll just give you a brief overview, right? If your rent is two grand a month, you know, you're paying $24,000 a year, $24,000 a year. You do that for five years, you're talking uh, hundred about $125,000 or so. You buy a house with an FHA loan at about three and a half percent down right? Or you could possibly figure out a way to get a grant for that 3.5% down. So you might not have to come out of pocket for anything. And you turn around and you, and you realize that the national average for home appreciation is 5%. So if you buy a house for $200,000 in five years, it's going to appreciate you know, approximately 25%. So what's 25% of 200,000? You gained $50,000 in equity as opposed to spending $125,000 in rental. You also have your tax benefits. You're able to write off, I believe it's 50% of your mortgage. So you're able to take that money. So if you're making hundred grand a year and you're in your 30% tax bracket, you're able to take about 15% of your income. And now that comes back to you. So now you add that on top of the money you saved or you gained in the equity. And you just do the math. I mean, it makes more sense to become a homeowner than it does to become a renter. I think people are just scared to take the plunge.
0: I agree with you. And you can't argue with that math. So many studies, so many ways to slice it. Men lie, it it.
1: women lie, numbers don't. It's <laughs> simple.
0: People lie, numbers don't, no. scales don't. I mean, there's certain things where the facts are the I facts. wish the
1: scales like, would sometimes.
0: <laughs> I know, I've tried to like convince mine. I'm like, come on, just show me the number. This thing's
1: gotta lie. be broken, right? Like this thing has got to be broken. There's no way. <laughs>
0: But yeah, that's, that's one way to start. So, you know, we like to share great ideas and inspiration and motivation here on the show. And for anyone that's like, well, what's the first thing I can do? I will tell you is, consider whether or not to become a homeowner if you're currently a renter. Another thing too, for business owners is if any business owner is paying rent for a location like a bakery or could just be your accounting office, whatever it is, is consider becoming your own landlord, you know, and buying property, putting it into a separate entity like an LLC or corporation, you know, talk to your tax person about how to hold title and then rent it to your business. Number one, you're no longer worried that your commercial landlord is going to raise the rent next time your lease is up or ask you to leave because they want to demolish the building, you're in much more control of your own destiny. And then again, it's that same math. You're not throwing away the rent every month.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you a thousand percent, but let's go even more basic than that, right? Let's just say that you learn to use OPM, other people's money. If you turn around and you just educate yourself, spend a year just learning the local real estate market. If you're in the town, I'm just going to give you a town name. If you're in the town of Nowheresville, Arizona, and you study that town and you learn what homes are going for, what the average price per square foot is, how big are the homes? Are they are they mother-daughter setups? Are they um, are the architectural features really nice? Or are they standard types homes? Are they single family, multifamily? And you start realizing that homes are trading for around four $500,000. You're able to identify when you see a deal that's only selling for 200,000 that you can go to somebody else and say, hey, you know what? This is a really good deal. I've done my homework. If we buy this home for 200, thousand dollars and we put fifty thousand dollars into it, we could sell it and we can make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. If you have that knowledge and that doesn't cost anything for you to do the research, then you can go out and use other people's money and you could figure out a way to make money that way. And you become partners and you start off with nothing. You start off with your sweat equity. So, you know, educating yourself on the local market and figuring out a way to get other people to invest. That's one way you can get into the game also.
0: I love how it's a choose your own adventure. And there's so many different paths (laughs) to get to where you want to go. For sure. So for yeah. you, what do you envision for like looking out the next two, three years as you work towards your big goal of retirement by 45? What are your big stones that you're going to move in the next few years?
1: So the, the first is I am uh I'm doing construction right now. Development was just a natural sort of next step for me. You know, I I, I bought property, I started with like a three family house, and then I bought a multifamily. Then we bought some multifamily that was, you know, pretty dilapidated. So we had to fix it up. You know, the next step for us was like, you know what, let's just build. our own, own. let's just build our own buildings and figure out that game. So like we're learning the construction game and, you know, know, trial by fire. But the next move for me is just to get bigger and bigger in development. For me, I set myself a goal to do at least one development per year for the next four years. And I, I set the numbers out there. I don't necessarily want to disclose them, but like I know the numbers I have to hit and the amount of units that I have to build in the next four to five years to get my number, my retirement number, the number that I know If I don't have to, if I don't wake up in the morning, or if I don't have to wake up in the morning, I still have this much money coming in for me. So it's the big stones are just continue developing and also building a real estate team. So being in the business for 17 years, you have a lot of knowledge and a lot of people tend to ask you questions. You know, how do I do this? How do I become a successful agent? In October, I was a number two agent in Keller Williams in the entire tri state area. You're talking about tens of thousands of agents. I was the number two agent. It brings a lot of exposure with it into a lot of hard work, but people come to you and they say, how do I do it myself? So you learn how to build a team where you become a quote unquote rainmaker and you develop the leads, you develop the systems, and then you put people in place. And then you end up turning around and you teach them how to do real estate. And then Keller Williams is a partnership where you have a profit sharing and you could turn around and you could then reap the benefits of them being successful. So you're literally succeeding through others. So for me, it's to build a big real estate brokerage team. And it's to continue building development deals.
0: Well, I have no doubts that you will accomplish all of those goals. I have one last question for you, which we always talk about on this show, which is what are some of the tools or techniques or tips you have on how to maintain work-life balance? You're someone who obviously has a lot of demands on your time. A lot of people want your time. And how do you keep sane and uh, keep balanced and maintain time for your family?
1: I'll give you a couple examples of what I do. The first thing is I schedule my time. First thing I schedule, and I learned this from Gary Keller at Keller Williams, is uh, I schedule my time off. I know Friday night's date night. I know Sunday is going to be time when I go and I have lunch with my mom. I schedule my time. So it's literally down to the hour of where I'm going to be, what I'm going to be doing. And I schedule my time. So that allows me to say, you know what? I'm not living to work. I'm working to be able to live. Okay. That's number one. Number two, the power of the word no. Everybody wants to be a crowd pleaser, right? But for me, I had to learn over the past couple of years that you have to be able to say no to people. You can't make everybody happy. And you have to realize that you have an agenda and you have to get done what you have to get done. And then you could turn around and you could help other people. If your plane is crashing, the first thing you have to do is you have to put the oxygen on yourself first. You're not going to be able to help nobody else. So for me, I learned the power of saying no to people and saying, listen, you know what? I'm sorry. I can't really help you right now. If you want, Book a meeting with me, go into my email, click a time. It's only available during certain times. You'll have a half hour of my time. I'll sit there and I'll be able to help you, but I can't really answer your questions right now and I can't really help you right now. So scheduling time and the value of the word no has really moved the needle for me.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's that's great reminders that we are in control of the one sort of commodity that. Everyone gets the same amount of, you know, everyone has different income and so forth, but we all have the same number of minutes and hours in each day. And so that is something that we need to really control because we don't know how many days we have. We know we have a certain number of hours and minutes per Mm days. We just, we don't know how much time. So time is extremely precious. And I love those tips on ways to preserve. I think it's hard to say no. It really (laughs) is. It's very, very
1: difficult.
0: Sometimes it's a great opportunity or it's someone that means something to you and you really want to be there and say yes. So learning when to say no, when to say yes, that is one of, I think, life's greatest challenges.
1: Yeah, I agree. And let me just throw a little tidbit in there, also is avoid the water cooler talk. You know what the water cooler talk is?
0: Yes, the chit chat.
1: <laughs> yeah, avoid the chit chat in the office, folks. I mean, really, you know, like you're going to get a cup of water or you're going to get a cup of coffee. You don't need to sit there for five minutes talking about the gossip that's going on in the office. Avoid the water cooler talk, please. That Especially will save you office, so right? yeah, save yourself so it's much so time. Awesome. I mean, Yeah, the water cooler talk. It's so useless.
0: Well, Stephen, it's been so good to have you on the show. And I I wish you much success on your path to early retirement. I know you're going to get there more than likely ahead of schedule. And uh, that's really exciting. Your time is extremely valuable. And uh, you didn't say no to us. You said yes. And you were (laughs) here and you were present and you were sharing so much inspiration and motivation. So I thank you very much for your time today and for being on the show.
1: It's my pleasure. And thank you very much for having me.